this week on American Idols. That would be great. I can be up there in 30 minutes. Yeah, I'll get my secretary to draw up 15 copies. It, it should only take her about two hours. We can close this deal tonight. Thank you, Fred. Talk to you later. Bye-bye. Honey, back to the office. Tonight, dinner's almost ready. Honey, it's the Johnson deal. This could really be big. And it was the Richardson account last week that kept you from coming to junior school play. Honey, it's business. You got to strike while the iron's hot. And if you want to keep a happy wife, you'll eat her cooking while it's hot. Is dinner almost ready? It sure is. Did you have fun playing with Becky? Yes. We played house. She got to be the mom and I got to be the grandpa. Why didn't you play the dad? Because her dad's never home. Honey, why don't you go clean up for dinner? Okay. Honey, I'm going to call Fred. That paperwork can wait until the morning. Perhaps you have uh, heard the story of the fellow who approached the preacher, and he was pretty upset. He said, where have you been? I have tried all day yesterday to call you and couldn't find you. He said, well, yesterday was my day off. And the man said rather contemptuously, well, the devil doesn't take a day off. And the preacher said, yeah, and if I didn't, I'd be just like him. (laughs) I want to ask you this morning, why are we uncomfortable telling people that we haven't been busy lately? Think about that. In America, it's almost a given. If anybody says, how have you been? You're supposed to say, I've been so busy lately. As if we would be embarrassed to admit that we're not just exceptionally busy. Where did we get the idea that busyness is next to godliness? See, I think the notion actually came from another ruler. An old preacher said, if the devil can't make you bad, he'll make you busy. And the chief way he does that is by getting us to bow down to one of the most popular gods in America, and it's named work. Now, before I go any further, let me define work. Work is more than just a salaried job. The mother who has three preschool kids works hard, even though she doesn't get a monetary reward for her labor. Or the people that mentor or coach or volunteer. The people who come up and do so much at the church during the week. And so don't define work as just something you get paid for. It's all that we do that keeps us busy. And work can be a good thing. But work can become a God. Instead of putting God on the throne. We can put work on the throne. And so let me suggest a couple of correctives as we start. The one is that we must stop equating busyness with worthiness. See, the chief reason most of us stay so busy is that we're trying through our labor to find meaning for our lives. We believe if we can just be busy, our lives matter. They must matter because that's why we have to stay so busy. But work doesn't work as a reason for living. It can sustain significance, I mean existence, it cannot provide significance. Now no one knew this better than Solomon, who really 
threw himself into working hard to find a reason for living. And look what he said in Ecclesiastes chapter 2. So now I hate life because everything done here under the sun is so irrational. Everything is meaningless, like chasing the wind. I'm disgusted that I must leave the fruits of my hard work to others. And who can tell whether my successes will be wise or foolish? And yet they'll control everything I've gained by my skill and hard work. How meaningless. So I turned in despair from hard work. It was not the answer to my search for satisfaction in this life. Solomon says, what have I been working so hard for? I have worked and worked and worked so that I will die and somebody else will do something with what I've worked for. And I don't know if they'll be wise or not. Is that what life is about? Life is always going to be frustrating as long as you give first class allegiance to second class causes. Work is going to be toil if you try to make it be something God never meant for it to be. You weren't designed to find your worth in your occupation. But in God's preoccupation with you. Now take a moment and realize what I just said. You don't have to work to find a place in God's heart. And how would it change your life? How would it change your work if you really could wake up tomorrow and believe I am already beloved in God's eyes? Nothing I do today is going to change that. I don't have to do anything today to find out who I am, who my identity is, or whether or not I matter. How would it change my work if I really believed the King of Kings had already granted me significance? Well, here's what I would do. I would start relating business to witness. See, it's not wrong to want my work to mean something. Remember, the Bible opens with this majestic picture of God as worker. The first thing we learn about God in the Bible is that He works. The key is in discerning how my occupation, what I do during the day to be busy. How can I tie my occupation to my vocation. You say, don't those words mean the same thing? No, they don't. Vocation comes from a Latin word that means calling. God has a calling on your life to bring Him glory and honor by the way you spend your days. Now, how can you get your work to relate to your calling? Bible says in Colossians 3.23, work hard and cheerfully at whatever you do as though you were working for the Lord. Rather than for people. My work needs to bring honor to my boss. That's why I love this story you may have heard recently about a young boy named Johnny. Johnny the bagger. That's his picture there. He lives up in the north. He works for a grocery store. His story came to light by a woman named Barbara Glanz, who was a consultant for businesses. And she gave a speech at this uh, meeting of 3,000 workers at this grocery store chain up in the north. And Johnny was there. And she talked about how you have to make effort to connect to your customers. Johnny, as you probably can tell, has Down's syndrome. And he thought, what could I do? But he came up with an idea. And he called Barbara a month later. He said, here's what I can do. He said, 
I like to come up with thoughts for the day. I like to find them. If I can't find one, I just make one up. And his dad helps him each night type that thought six times on a piece of paper. And then they run off 50 copies. And then Johnny cuts them up so that he has 300 thoughts for the day. And he signs his name to each one. And then when he bags the groceries, he puts a piece of paper in the bag. And he says, I have put a neat thought for the day in your bag. I hope it helps you have a good day. Now, a month later... The manager of the store where Johnny works called Barbara and says, you're not going to believe what's happening here. So I walked into the store the other day and there is this line all the way back to the frozen foods. <laughs> and so I got on the loudspeaker and I said, folks, we've opened up a couple of new checkout lines. You don't have to wait so long. But I couldn't get anybody to move to the line. They said, no, we want to stay in Johnny's line. Why? Because somehow... His work became his calling. I love the mom who gets it, who put a plaque over her sink that says, Worship services held here three times daily. You see, God gives everyone work to do. Now, it's foolish to try to make work your all, but it's contemptible to not work at all. Because work was designed by God for our benefit, remember, in the context of innocence. The fall of man is not what brought work to the world. It's made work toil. But God told us to work in paradise when there was no sin. The Bible says in Ecclesiastes 3, People should eat and drink and enjoy the fruits of their labor, for these are gifts from God. Let me tell you something. Work preceded the curse. And when the curse is lifted, we're still going to work. All of you who think heaven is going to be sitting on a fog bank playing a harp, you haven't been reading your Bible. Because in glory, we are going to be serving, we're going to be given assignments, and we're going to have jobs to do. Because God designed us that way. This is why the concept of retirement is not found in the Bible. I'm not saying it's not wrong at some point to stop having a job where you go every day and get paid. I'm saying God designed you to do more than just sit in front of a television set and watch soap operas. Go to a school and be a tutor. Go visit the hospitals. Be a crosswalk guard. Go on a Let's Start Talking trip. Quilt. Go on a mission trip. Because we were designed to be productive creatures. By doing so, we bear witness to the character of God. Do you remember in John 5 when Jesus healed a guy on the Sabbath? They said, you can't do that. He said, why not? My father worked and is working to this day. There's not a day that God doesn't produce. God doesn't contribute. God doesn't form and shape and create. And you were made to represent him. And you're going to do it for eternity. The ability to contribute... And not just consume. is a gift from God. And so God gives everyone work to do. But God never gives anyone too much work to do. You see, there's this God named work that most Americans worship. And this God says that hectic and frazzled And stressed out is just normal 
and necessary. And I'm going to tell you the truth. You're not going to hear it, but I'm going to tell you anyway. We are too busy because we choose to be too busy. Several years ago, uh, this illustration was going around. It was very popular in business settings. This uh, time management consultant was speaking to a bunch of uh, managers at this corporation. and, And he pulled out this big gallon mason jar with a big wide mouth. And he started putting some big rocks in it. And when the rocks reached the top of the jar, he said, is this jar full? And they said, oh, yes. And he said, really? And he reached below the table and he pulled out some gravel. And he started pouring gravel, and the gravel would fall between the spaces of the big rocks. And he said, now is the jar full? And they were less sure. Not sure, they said. He got a, some sand and started pouring sand in the jar, and it would fall between the smaller spaces of the gravel. Now is the jar full? No one said anything. And so then he got some water and poured water in the jar until it reached the brim. He said, what is the point of this illustration? And someone said, no matter how full your calendar is, you can always squeeze in something else. (laughs) And he said, no. The point is, if you're going to get the big rocks in, you better put them in first. Now, what are the big rocks? Because I want to tell you something. You have a jar. And you know what size it is? It's size 24. That's what Jesus said. Not a single one of you can add one more hour to your day. You get 24. And you get to put into that day whatever you want to put. Are you putting the big rocks in first? John Ortberg says he took part recently in a survey of Thousands of Christians in America. And here was the question. What is the number one reason you are not knowing and loving God better? You want to guess what they said? I'm too busy. Live with that for a second. We are too busy to know God better. And so we try to squeeze God into bite-sized little commitments that won't take up too much time. Little sentence prayers. And little one hour worship services that we're 15 minutes late to. Jesus said. The presence of all this clutter. Reveals the absence of faith. That's what he said Matthew 6. You're chasing here and you're chasing there and you're going, 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 worrying, 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 worrying. Why? Because unlike the lilies, unlike the birds, you don't have enough confidence that God can take care of you. 
Psalm 127 too says, It's useless for you to work so hard from early morning till late at night, anxiously working for food to eat, for God gives rest to his loved ones. You ever wondered how Jesus could accomplish so much and never seem rushed? How Jesus even had time for people that we would think were interruptions. Because Jesus knew what the big rocks were. Love God, love people. And he knew if you're going to love God and love people, you can't microwave relationships. And so toppling this idol named work is going to require, now listen close, that I live out of the conviction that God gives me enough time to do everything He wants me to do. And so if I can't get everything on my to-do list done... God didn't prepare that list. Because God gives me enough time every day to get the big rocks in the jar. We are too busy because we choose to be too busy. But it doesn't have to stay that way. Here's a couple of things we can decide to do. Number one, we can work at keeping our lives in balance. And you better work at it because the Martha malady is contagious. You know what I mean, don't you, by the Martha malady? You remember that time there when Jesus is having supper with Mary and Martha. And Martha is so frustrated because Mary's just there sitting at the feet of Jesus. And Martha's in the kitchen and she's fixing and she's cooking and she's working. And she's saying, Jesus, how come Mary doesn't come help me with the work? And he says, Martha, Martha, anytime Jesus says your name twice, you're in trouble. (laughs) He says, Martha, Martha, you've forgotten what the big rocks are. Please notice, he does not condemn Martha's work. But he reprioritizes it. Like Martha, we must learn there is a time to switch gears. There's a time to work. There's a time to stop. And by the way, that means turning off the mind too. And I'm preaching to myself here. I don't know about you, but one of my problems is I will stop work, but I'll go be with the family. I'll go be with friends. And I haven't turned the mind off. The mind is still at work. And so I am not fully present where God needs me to be. It's called the Martha malady. We were made for work that blesses us, not work that stresses us. Ecclesiastes 4, 6 says, It's better to have only a little with peace of mind than to be busy all the time with both hands trying to catch the wind. 
Now, balance is only going to be achieved by intentionality and accountability. In other words, by intentionality, I am going to have to create time to not be busy, to fast from busyness. Maybe I need to carve out a few moments every morning or evening just to be quiet and open my Bible and pray and be with God. I need to carve out every week time to go worship. And by time to worship, I mean where I come and I am rested and I get there early and I'm not in a hurry and I stay and I fellowship and I soak it in to recalibrate my soul for the big rocks. Maybe it means once a year I ought to take a day or two and just go spend some time with God. If you live to be 70... Then God has gifted you, and I use that word on purpose because every day you suck air in your lungs is a gift. If you live to be 70, God has gifted you 25,000 days. Are you going to tell me you've been so busy you couldn't even spend a few just being with God? Beware the barrenness of the busy life. Work at keeping your life in balance. Intentionality, accountability. You give somebody in your life that you trust permission to say to you, Hey, I think you're getting out of balance. And don't get defensive when they say it. Because they love you. Work at keeping your life in balance. And number two, work as a way to bless others and worship God. It's about to be Christmas season. We're all going to watch Christmas Carol again. Why does that story by Dickens resonate? Because we all see a piece of ourselves in Scrooge. And we know at some level it's, it's useless to work and work and burn and burn and toil and toil and be miserable because at the end of your life nobody was blessed. You see, what gives life meaning is not how much you've heaped, but who you've helped. In fact, it's interesting, in the Bible, this is one of the surest signs of who a real Christian is and who's faking it. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 28, Paul says, He who's been stealing must steal no longer, but he must work doing something useful with his hands that he may have something to share with those in need. The desire to bless other people through your work is one of the surest signs you have really been converted. And you're not just a pretender worshiping some idol. By the way, it's one of the best ways to worship God. Now. Tomorrow morning, you're going to go back into the world and you're going to be surrounded by propaganda that's going to challenge everything you've heard the last 25 minutes. Everything. And the idol named work is going to tell you to go and get busy because busyness is necessary and non-negotiable. I'm telling you, you can smash the idol. There's a legend about a man that was very, very wise. Very respected for his insight. But there was this smart aleck boy in town 
who wanted to show him up. So he approached the man one day. He had caught a little baby bird. And he had that bird behind his back in his hands. And he asked the old man in front of everybody, is this bird in my hands alive or dead? He thought it was a sure trap because if a man said the bird is dead, he would hold it out and say, here it is alive. But if he said the bird is alive, he would crush it in his hands and say, no, it's dead. But the old man proved worthy of the challenge. He looked the young boy in the eye and he said, the bird is whatever you choose it to be. You are as busy as you choose to be. Because the God of heaven has given you enough time every day to get the big rocks in the jar. And so your choice reveals your God. So I want you to to bow your heads with me for a moment. I want us to spend just a little time resting with the Lord. Let's start by, by singing this together. Be still and know that I am God. take a few moments be still before the Lord maybe God would like to impress on you in a few these few moments the order in which things have been going in the jar this morning that God gives you enough time every day to do everything he really wants you to do and that if you will do what he wants you to do he'll take care of tomorrow to conquer the idol you have to be able to believe this prayer in We're going to sing one more song, and while we sing that song, if you would like to continue to explore what God's doing in your heart and talk to somebody or pray with somebody, if you would go to our chapel 
It's just on the first floor of our atrium on this side of the building. Uh, Some elders and ministers will meet with you. If you're ready to confess Christ, be baptized, start the life of discipleship, just come down to the front right now. We really are, uh, we really do get to choose what goes in the jar. Let's choose well. Stand up and sing, please.